couple weeks ago, I said that God can make a lot of something out of nothing. You guys remember that? I talked about how sometimes we feel like we're nothing. Maybe we've been told that we're nothing. And so he can turn a lot of nothing into something, that he can make dead things alive. And then last week, if you were here, it was so good. Marvin shared. How many of you were there for that? He talked about the story of the adulterous woman who was caught in the act. They brought him, uh, brought her before Jesus. And um, you know the whole story. He who has no sin casts the first stone. And one of the points that Marvin brought up is that um, Jesus silences the accuser. And of course, we know Revelation 12 says that the accuser um, really stands before God accusing the brethren both day and night. But in that very same passage, it says that the accuser has been cast down. So it's good news. But um, that's kind of an, a future event, although not really because Jesus, the work on the cross, has cast him down. Does that make sense? So we have the ability um, to press into Jesus and he will silence the accuser. But the, the bigger picture right there is that it says that the accuser stands before God accusing the brethren. So we are the brethren. The brethren meaning the people of God. We are the people of God and constantly... You have to get that picture. Constantly, the enemy is accusing us. And what he uses as his, uh, as his material are our failures. Isn't that right? Our failures, our sin. And you know what? It doesn't even have to be a sinful failure. It could just be a failure that is just a failure. You know, I failed a test. Was that sin? No, but it's a failure. And certainly, if we already have this uh, sense in us... Um, that we fail a lot or whatever, then what happens is we just, we, any kind of failure, any kind of shortcoming can be used against us to bring discouragement. And I, I think I've shared this plenty of times. The word discouragement means to take courage out of. And the word encourage means to put courage in. And I think one of the things that's been in mine and Marvin's heart and, and certainly Melissa, she's taught, and really kind of all the time, is to constantly be putting courage in you guys. Courage to be who you've called to be. Do what you've been called to do. Live the life that is worthy of the calling and then to, li- to help other people do the same. That's the vision of our church. But it's also God's vision for our lives. To live a life worthy of the calling we've received in His Son, Jesus, and then to help other people to do the same. Tonight, what I want to do is I want to share something that I believe is meant to put courage into somebody here. Now, just just to help me, can I get a show of hands of people in this room that could use some seeds of encouragement sown into you tonight? I mean, not just like, yes, pastor, we're with you, hanky, hanky. I mean, like, really. It's like, you know what? Dude, courage has been sucked, sapped out of me. I could use a little bit of encouragement. Sow that seed, <laughs> right? So if that's you, raise your hand just so I can, okay, good. So look at John chapter 21. This is the last, the last chapter in that book. And there's a lot that has happened. If you, if you have been in church for a while, if you've been a believer for a while, for a while you've been following with the scriptures and you know, um, then you know that a lot has taken place by the, end of a, by the end of one of the gospels, right? A ton has taken place. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, even though we're only going to focus on a few um, verses. I want to read about half of this chapter. So can you guys track with me? This is John chapter 1. By the way, this is after Christ was crucified. Um, he was put in the grave. 
He rose again, and we know for a time he, um, he would show himself or he would manifest himself. Manifest means to, um, to show or to make known. And so he would manifest himself uh, to his disciples several different times. And in verse 21, this is what it says. After these things, after all these things had taken place, Jesus manifested himself. He showed himself again to the disciples. Remember, he did it um, when the disciples were in that room. Remember Thomas, doubting Thomas, he put his hands and touched his hands and feet inside. That was one of the times he manifested himself. It says that he manifested himself in this way. This is how he did it. This is how he showed up that day. Simon Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and then two other disciples were all together. Okay, so they were chilling, they were hanging out. They were probably talking about all the stuff that had taken place. You guys aren't zoning out, are you already? Okay, stay with me. And just kind of out of the blue, verse 3, Simon Peter says, you know what, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll come with you, man. (laughs) So they were all probably pretty discouraged because of all the things that had taken place, but encouraged that Jesus was there, but still, I'm going fishing. It's an indicator that had kind of gone back to their old life. We'll talk about that in a minute. We will come with you. And so they went out and they got into the boat, into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was breaking, in other words, close to morning, Jesus stood on the beach. Remember, this is how he manifested himself. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Maybe they were too far out. Maybe Jesus looked different. Maybe, you know, but they didn't recognize him. Just like the guys on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize that it was Jesus they had been talking to that whole time. Verse 5, so Jesus said to them, children, or boys, or little dudes, I don't know, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, they said no. And he said to them, hey, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul in the amount of fish that they caught. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved which we know is John, who is writing this book, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, he put his outer garment back on, because he had stripped down because of work, and threw himself into the sea, meaning he swam to the shore all the way from where they were. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far behind or far from land, but about 100 yards away. Okay, come on, you guys. How far away were they? 100 yards. How many of you want to quickly, as fast as you can, in your clothes, swim the length of a football field? I mean, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I would do it. I'm just saying, I wouldn't want to do it. It would not be my choice of exercise. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and a fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, hey, bring some, some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish. In fact, 153. And although there were so many, the net was still not harmed. Now, I don't know if this is any relevance, but there's some scholars that believe that the number 153 had to do with what was, what was about to take place for Peter because you know how in certain languages um, letters have values, number values. You know what I mean? You've heard that kind of stuff. In the Greek language, 
the, the word for fish, I mean, the word for, um, the word for, what is it? The word for, oh, the numbers add up. Let me say it this way. Peter's, there's two words. What am I trying to say? No, there are two words that um, specifically that might make sense here that add up the numbers 153 add up to. One is fish, so that could work, right? Isn't that interesting? But the other is the name Peter. Peter's letter in that language, the letters add up to 153. So some people say, and this is important, I think, for what I'm going to share tonight, but some people think that that is another indicator that this was a really significant event for Peter, and that's what we're going to talk about. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't even share it all then, I got stumbled up. But it is a fact, okay, it's a fact. Jesus said to them, come and let's have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and the fish the same, likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he had raised them from the dead. This is the area I want to focus on. In verse 11, it says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Now to understand what's about to happen, and we're going to read the rest of it, but I want to pause. And you need to understand what's happening because it's a really important scene but to understand what's happening I want us to take I want to take us to another scene okay so turn to Mark 14 we're going to look at another scene in the Bible and this scene is also found in John but we're going to look at the Mark 14 account in Mark 14 all the way over in verse 66 And most of us are really familiar with this story. This is another story that has to do with Peter. This is after Jesus was betrayed by Judas, arrested. Jesus stood before his accusers and was condemned. And now they're in the courtyard and they're beating him. They're beating Jesus. We know the story, right? We've seen the passion of the Christ. We know the story. As Peter was below in the courtyard, and he's in the same courtyard that Jesus is being whipped in. Okay, so they're beating Jesus and Peter is not too far away. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, hey, you were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went out into the porch Uh, And he went out into the porch. Then the servant girl saw him and began once more saying to the bystanders, hey, this is one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And a little while, um, and after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean too. But he began, listen to me, look at everybody, look at me. He began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. Rizzle, rat, rizzle, rizzle, blizzle, blacker. Know the man. That's how I translate it. Thanks to my Looney Tune education, right? Rizzle, rat, rizzle. 
I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed, and a second time, uh, a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him that before a rooster crows t- um, twice, you will deny me three times. And it says that Peter began to weep. Now, weep. now I know this is a lot of story, and I will say this. In Luke 22 of the same account, it says that Jesus, when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Now, Jesus could have still been being whipped. He could have been hanging there after he was whipped. It doesn't matter, but he was in the same courtyard, and as soon as that happened, he had an eye shot of Peter, which means that Peter probably had an eye shot of Jesus. And there was this exchange. And it says that Jesus looked at Peter. And it says, Peter, again, it doesn't say that in this verse, but what we know is that Peter began to weep. Something happened right there that is like, it's, it's like one of the most dramatic scenes in the Bible, in my opinion. But to understand what's going here, you got to take it all the way back. So I, can I just kind of tell you and remind you of some of the stories of Peter? You guys know that Peter was one of the first disciples that Jesus chose that he said, come and follow me. And if you remember the story, you remember that Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were out fishing with him that other day, when Jesus, the first scene we talked about, they were out there. And if you remember the scene, it was the same scene that we just read in John 21. They were out there fishing, doing their best, and they weren't catching anything. They were completely failing. Now, I'm sure they caught fish, surely, every now and then. Otherwise, you'd hang it up. But one of the things we know about Peter and probably a lot of those boys, if they were out there fishing, and I won't go into this too much, but if they were out there doing a trade, that means they probably failed or flunked out of Pharisee, Pharisee school, religious leader school, which was actually a very uh, um, uh, prestigious thing to be a part of. Everyone had an opportunity, but those that didn't have the skills, the brains, or the means did not continue on after a certain point of testing. They probably failed, and so they were out fishing, and they were failing at fishing that night. But Jesus found them, and he said, cast your nets on the other side. They're like, okay. And so they did, and it says that they caught so many fish that the nets could not even contain them. And if you think about it, they were all like, whoa. And it says they were astonished at the catch of fish, and so they followed Jesus. Because Jesus said, follow me. And they're like, "Uh, yeah, the dude could catch some fish. We're going to follow him. And then this journey starts for a man named Peter. And I can't go into all the details, but if you can recall the stories that are involved in this man Peter's life, a couple of things we know about him just from the very uh, reading about him, just we can recall off the top of our head, he was prideful, he was kind of a bully, he was arrogant, he was a little self-centered, always doing something. It was crazy. And yet Peter was not only called that day to be a disciple of Jesus and to follow him, but Peter along the way had some special encounters with Jesus. For example, you remember the scene when Jesus was with his disciples. He said, who do the people say that I am? Some say you're the prophet. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. And Jesus said, well, he's talking to all of them. Well, who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter, before anybody else could even get there. Why? Because that's how Peter is. That's how he rolls. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right, Simon, Peter. 
And only God could have revealed this to you. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And that rock that he's talking about, I believe, is two things. First of all, the revelation that he got that Jesus is the Christ, because the church is built on the foundation of Christ, right? The the scripture says the um, foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but all the apostles and the prophets boast in and point to Christ. So the foundation of the church is Christ. That revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, is the rock, is the foundation. But what you may not know is that his name was Simon, And one of Jesus' first encounters was, dude, we're changing your name. From Simon to Peter. Simon, which means, and I wrote this down. Simon, which means God has heard. That was Simon. Changing your name from God has heard to Peter or Petros, which means rock. So when he said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, it was not only that revelation, but he was saying, in essence, you are going to be a major instigator of me building the kingdom, building my church. That's a special thing. What other disciple did he say that to that we know of? Not one other disciple. That was a special thing for Peter. And we know that Peter, along with James and John also, something special about those three, got these wonderful personal encounters with Jesus. They were invited to the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you guys remember that? He went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. It's whenever... um, um, they saw him as, as his true self, his glorified self, this glimpse of who Jesus truly is. Three people got to see it. Peter was one of those. We know there's a couple times where he would go in to pray for or heal someone, and it was Peter, James, and John that he brought. We know in the garden, his last night before he died, all the disciples went up to the Mount of Olives and up to the garden, but then it says that he went a little further, and he brought three people with him. One of them was Peter, and then James and John. So when you see Peter weeping because the Lord shot him a look. And I don't think it was a mean, harsh look. I think it was a real look. I think it was a look that confirmed everything that Peter was living, experiencing, and that Jesus had prophesied. And it says that he wept. And I believe that he went back fairly quickly back to his life of fishing. And we know he was in the upper room I mean, we know that he was, um, he was in the room whenever the disciples were there and a couple encounters that they had with Jesus. But for the most part, Peter was probably pretty discouraged. And I think, how much are we like Peter? Whether you're the pride end of the spectrum or the bully end of the spectrum or just a guy that falls short a lot. Remember, Peter's the same guy that's cutting off ears and Jesus is like, don't cut off their ears and having to clean up that mess. Remember, healing the guy. Remember the time where Jesus said, hey, Simon, I was going to tell you something. And he actually said this to the whole group. But he said it, Simon. He said, Simon, Simon. Anytime a name is said twice, pay attention because Jesus means something. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Like wheat. Why would he say, how does that? Remember, he stands before God and accuses the brethren both day and night. We know the scene from Job where, well, I won't go into all that, but the same kind of a scene. And so one time, probably whenever the enemy is accusing Peter day and night before the Lord, he probably says, let me sift him. Let me get him. Let, and it, says, it doesn't say that Jesus says, but I told Satan, no way, Jose. It's not what he says. He said, but I'm praying for you. He asked if he could sift you. 
I didn't say no. I just said, I'm praying for you. You don't see that of anybody else. There's something going on with Peter. And another time, again, which led to all this, Jesus is telling the story of how he's got to go away. I'm going to be crucified. Where, you, where I'm going, you cannot go. And Peter's like, well, where are you going? I'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> again, it's Peter. How many of you can relate? I'll follow you, Lord. Anywhere. And that's when Jesus said, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. And this is the scene we see. The rooster crows. Jesus looks over. Peter realizes what is happening. And Peter weeps. And then you see this scene where all the disciples were together. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they had seen the Lord and they'd had encounters, but by and large, Peter was still discouraged. Still probably felt like a failure. Why? Because he denied Jesus three times to his face. And the last time, Jesus heard him dropping bombs. You guys hear what I'm saying? I don't know what kind of bombs, but he was dropping bombs as he denied the Lord. Can you get any worse? Let's go back to John 21. This is where it gets really encouraging. Let's start this area over again. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Talking about not the fish. Do you love me more than you love fish? (laughs) Do you love me more than these disciples, these other disciples? And Jesus wasn't trying to be weird or play games here. It's just that they had a special relationship, didn't they? Didn't they not have a special relationship? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And that word for love is that agape love, you know, agape love, that, that love is I love you, Lord, I, I love you. You know I love you. You know that my heart's for you. You know that I love you. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, tend my lambs, which is a reference back to his call, Right? be a rock in the church. Are y'all listening to me? Because you're about to get encouraged. And then Jesus said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Same word, agape. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. Again, confirming that call, confirming what he said he would be, the rock instrumental, part of the foundation of of the church. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says that Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And I don't know that it is as much that Jesus is asking him three times 
But it's that the third time when he asked him, it's a different word. It's not agape. It's the word phileo. And it means a tender affection or essentially friendship. That last time he was saying, Peter, are we good? Are we okay? Are we friends? Because they were before. And Jesus saw Peter, heard Peter cursing and cussing about their friendship. I don't know the man, Dagnabbit. Peter, are we okay? And his answer is that he was grieved because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Listen to the way he says that. Not just, yes, Lord, you know that I love you a third time. Lord, you know all things. You know all things. He goes a little extra to show that I, you know that I love you. The third time Jesus asked it differently and the third time Peter answered differently. You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus just calmly said once again, tend my sheep. And you've probably heard a teaching like this before. That this is the restoration of Peter. How many of you have heard that before? What God's doing here? That, that Peter denied Jesus three times? And so Jesus asked him three times so that he could, he could uh, work with that. Restore him for every failure. And that's good. And I could say that and I could go home. But I was thinking this week and actually talking to um, a, a couple of people had this conversation just this week because there are people who are discouraged beyond a loss of, encourage, uh, loss of courage, but discouraged so much that there's no hope of ever regaining courage. You guys know what I mean? And that's a dangerous place to be. And don't you think that Peter was at that place? How could I ever be who I was, do the things that I have done before when I treated my Lord that way to his face. <laughs> and some of us may feel that way, the things that we've done, things that we've said, um, maybe in, again, maybe um, in our relationship with the Lord as it relates to sin and unrighteousness. You know, most of us, all of us have fallen short in that area. But maybe just in general areas of, I messed up. I just didn't do it right. Or I didn't know. or I, That's definitely most of us too, right? And so when all of those things swim in the same pool, you can be drenched with discouragement. I mean, I'm just discouraged on all fronts. And I know that Peter felt that way. Because I have felt that way. And you guys have felt that way. Just this week, I was reminding of the way that the Lord restores. He restores Beautifully. For every failure, he has a a restoring question, I suppose, or remark. Every failure, he restores. You failed this way? He's not ever behind. You know, if anything, he's ahead. (laughs) Right? He's never behind. Oh, gosh, I got to catch up to Tony's failures. He is way out there. No, he's probably always ahead. He's like, here comes another one. You know, he's he's already preparing his statement. His question to me, too. But here's what I thought, and maybe you've seen this too, and, and I've seen it, but I've never really thought of it and focused it this way. But think about each failure and think about each restoring question. 
The first one, do you know the man? No, I don't know him. I don't understand what you're talking about. What you're talking about, Willis? You know? And the first time Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The second time, are you sure you weren't with them? You look like you were one of the guys with the disciples. No, it says that he denied it again a second time. The second time Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the third time, the third time that he denied, he didn't just deny He cursed. It says he cursed and swore and said, I do not know the man. Flippity flop, blankety blank. And that was an intense failure. Amen? And then you think about the last time, the last question. Not only does Jesus use a different word, which to me is a little bit more intense. It's like with me and and my wife. Man, or our kids, or our mom, or our grandma, you know, or just anybody, another brother, or someone in Christ. I, yeah, I love, I love that person. I love my wife. In the Lord. You know, I just love them in the Lord. I agape them. Why? Because Jesus commands us to love one another. It's what we got to do in the new covenant. I got to love them that way. But to ask, are we good? Are we friends? Are we going to be able to get past this? Are we going to go beyond this? That's a whole nother question with a whole nother level of intensity, isn't it? It's one thing to say, I love my wife, but it's another to grab her by the hand and her know it on a completely different level. And in marriage, that kind of relationship, there's even a whole nother level called arrows. Maybe we'll talk about it another time. But do you hear what I'm saying? That last restoring uh, restoring question matched his last denial with the same intensity Jesus was ready for an intense restoration that intense failure that intense restoration and it wasn't just the intensity of Jesus's question even even the way that Peter fielded that question he was as impassioned <laughs> as the one that he failed. Does that make sense? And I look at that, and I don't think it's coincidence. I think the Lord arranged it, and I think one of the, thing, the, one of the things that the Lord wants to tell us is that it doesn't matter how many times you fail. It doesn't matter what you do when you fail. It doesn't mean, matter the magnitude of your failure. I have the ability to match the intensity in my restoration. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. Be encouraged. I can match your failure. I can bring you back to square one, back to the day that I called you the rock. And by the way, when he says, when he says this to him, when he says, um, he doesn't say Peter or Simon Peter, he says Simon. Back to his original name, which is he who hears God, or what was it? What did I say? God has heard, okay. God has heard. And I wonder if Peter had been crying out, if I could take it all back. If I had the opportunity, Lord, if you would just give me the opportunity to undo what I've done. Y'all stand up real quick if you're with me on that one. If you've ever prayed that prayer, come on. If I could just undo what I've done, 
If I could just go back and not do that thing, if I could just go back and not say those words, if I could go back and not think those thoughts, even though maybe that thought itself, in and of itself, is not a sin, because he tells us to take those thoughts captive so we don't sin, some of us can get so bogged down with just the things that are rolling around in our head, and they haven't even become sin yet. And we wish that we could take that thought back. Everything from our thoughts to our words to our actions. And some actions are worse than others. And how many of us, and it looks like most of us, all of us, have either said that out loud or thought it in our heart. If I could go back or if I could have the opportunity to redo that. And the truth is we don't have the opportunity to go and redo that, do we? And so most of us understand that the prayer that we have to actually say or the right way to address it is, Lord, forgive me and restore me so that I can move forward in a different way. And that, I believe, is one of the reasons he addresses him. Not as Simon Peter, but as God has heard, I have heard you. I know, I remember you weeping, and it wasn't just in the courtyard. It was as you walked away. As it was as you went back to your mom's house and you told her the story of what you had just done. It was as you went back and fished the first time. I've heard you. And here we are. I've prepared a place. I've prepared a meal. And I've prepared a few questions for you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then do what it is that I called you, equipped you, and planned for you before the foundations of the earth. Go do those things. Okay. Hey, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Do you love me? Did I just have deja vu? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Tend my lambs. Hey, Peter. Do you love me? Are we good? Are we, are we friends? You guys do know that there's way more transactions happening, way bigger of a transaction happening in that last statement, right? Are we good? Yes, Lord. You know all things. You know that we're good. You know where I'm at. You know that I've turned in my heart. You know that I've repented. In my sheep. And I want to remind you as we're standing, because when we've been discouraged to the point where courage, there's no hope of courage ever being in us, it keeps us from living out what we've been called to do, and we are paralyzed. We stop, we don't move, we don't do what God has put upon us in our lives to do. But here is a great example of a man just days later who is leading these men again in that upper room. Nope. Jesus said, wait. No, guys. He said, do not leave Jerusalem until the power from on high comes. We ain't moving. Peter, who are you to look at you cutting off ears and you're saying, hey, we stand. I'm a big boy. You want to try to go out this room? You know. They stay. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And who is the one who preached 
this amazing sermon that led 3,000 people to Christ the day that the Holy Spirit came. Anybody know the answer to that one? It was Peter. And most of us know that Pentecost was not only a Jewish holiday or feast, but it is truly the day that the church was birthed. So he was able to use Peter as the rock who delivered the foundational truth to the people, and it worked. It it worked. And let me tell you that the Lord wants to restore you with the same intensity that you have failed. Maybe it's low-level intensity. Maybe it's mid-range intensity. Or maybe you you have been jacked up, and you don't even know what to do with yourself, and nobody else knows what to do with you either. There's someone who's waiting on the shore with a mess of fish prepared. And all he is saying is, recognize it's me, jump out of the boat, swim 100 yards, get to me. Because when you get there, I got some questions for you. Amen. He knows how to restore and those questions will be perfect. They will be right and they will match the intensity of your failure and it will be canceled out. Isn't that good? That's what the Lord wants to say to us tonight.